The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. All right, welcome to the winemakers. This is Brian Casey with uh, Bart Hansen today and a special guest, Raj Iyer. We are actually recording from the Roan Room today, which... Live uh, from the Roan Room. Live from the Roan Room, which I thought would be interesting because one of the vineyards that Raj sources is literally right down the road. We could probably walk uh, from here. Good afternoon, Bart. Good afternoon, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Yes, the vineyard that this uh, Chardonnay comes from is um, perhaps half a mile at the very most. If you walk down uh, Broadway and then take a right on uh, Watmore Road, um, the Green Acres blocks are uh, to your left as you carry on to at Stagecoach Road. Yeah, one of the San Giacomo vineyards, which uh, those of you that have listened to the podcast, uh, we did a really nice interview with uh, Mike and Steve San Giacomo. And I was actually introduced to Raj's wine by Brandon, who is one of the assistant sommeliers at Sante at the uh, Sonoma Mission Inn at the Fairmont. And, you know, we've got over 500 wines on the uh, wine list, so you don't always uh, get to become familiar with all of the wines, but Brandon had become a fan of the Ocean's Churning Chardonnay. And so one night when I was working with him, someone ordered it. He said, you've got to try this wine. Tried it, and I, I what I love is I love different styles um, of varietals, and what you like to offer people is is different styles. So, you know, someone um, like Chardonnay, you've got everything from um, Peter Michael and Paul Hobbs uh, to Ramsgate and Ocean's Churning, and, and all of the styles are completely different. And, and I love to offer alternatives to guests because some people are looking for that huge butter and oak uh, Chardonnay, and some people are looking for a, a more uh, Chablis or whatever you want to call it, Burgundy or, or Montrachet or Marceau. Um, um, some people See, are Brian, looking for you- different styles. You, you are good at that, and um, I'm sure that comes from some training from the girl in the fig because where you didn't have a huge buttery Chardonnay or a crisp um, Sauvignon Blanc, you had to find them an alternative. So well, you, you it, always, that, it would lend itself well to you, I would think. It was always nice, I think, and I, I don't know if enough Psalms do this. I, I think, number one, you ask about price, which is a really uncomfortable situation for a lot of sommeliers. They, they don't want to say... Well, how much money do you have to spend? Because most of the time people will say a little bit under what they actually want, what they will spend, and you don't want to push them too far over that line. But, but another question um, when you determine price is, are you looking for a white or red? If you're looking for a white, are you looking for something leaner and cleaner or something a little uh, bigger with more body and weight to it? And with reds, you ask uh, something lighter like a Pinot, or are you looking for something deeper and darker like a Syrah? Um, so you sort of get some information from them and then guide them in that direction. So it's definitely a very distinctive style that Raj has. And then I was uh, fortunate enough to sit in on one of the tastings mm-hmm. that he did with uh, Mark Irving, the, um, the head sommelier at Sante. And then, and then got to know him a little bit and said, oh, we've really got to get him on the show. Not only am I a fan of the wines, but um, I think it's a fabulous story. So I'll leave it at that and I'll turn it over to you, Raj. And you let us know, uh, h- how did you uh, come to be making uh, beautiful Chardonnay in California? Well, thank you again, Brian. Thank you, Bart. Um, it's it's an honor and a pl- 
privilege to be here at the Rhone Room, um, tasting and sharing uh, these these Chardonnays with you. <laughs> and 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 we are drinking Chardonnay in the Rhone Room, <laughs> and the proprietor <laughs> and Sandra is sitting outside. Um, I think that's great, and I I, I think she <laughs> just, just having fun. No, I know, and it's sometimes uh, it's not blasphemy at all. I think Sandra is a wine lover, and the fact that this vineyard is right down the road, I think uh, it's very apropos. Um, we all ultimately pay homage to the mother load of vineyards in France. So, absolutely, um, absolutely. so we all owe an enduring debt of gratitude to the vineyards of France yeah. who labored over centuries to to give this gift yeah. to the entire yeah, world. Yeah, absolutely, yes. absolutely. Here, here. My story begins with um, my first sip of Chablis at the tender age of 12, wow. um, when uh, once a year, my father would take us all to the Taj Mahal Hotel in Bombay, uh, which is a lovely old, and we call it the Grand Old Dame of Bombay. And is uh, it actually modeled after the Taj Mahal? Oh, no, no. no it doesn't it's, look it's, 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 no, hardly. It is, it is a very gorgeous, uh, exquisitely designed and built um, um, hotel in what we call the Indo-Saracenic style, or, um, the Indo-Greek um, style. Mm -hmm. um, it borrows from Gothic uh, motifs, but um, but then quickly leaves the Gothic arch to do things that are quite endemic uh, to the Indian subcontinent. So uh, its architecture is pleasing. The interiors are exquisite. They harken back to um, the 1800s. Um, the decor of the 1800s, uh, Victorian and then Edwardian. Um, and if you want to um, have um, an equivalent um, elsewhere in Asia, then look no farther than the raffles in Singapore. Oh, interesting. Uh, so um, Diwali, which is the Indian festival of light, uh, would be the occasion that my father would take us all um, for a, a lovely banquet. And I had my first taste of Chablis then um, for a few years until he passed away. When I came over to the United States back in 1987 to do a PhD um, in biochemistry, I had no idea that my educational and then my professional sojourn would take me to all of all the places in the United States, it would bring me to uh, Sonoma. Yeah. And um, I, I received my first taste of Sonoma's warmth and hospitality when I walked into what used to be the wine exchange on the plaza. Right. And um, a gentleman there, I believe his name's Richard, uh, who used to manage that shop, um, and I began talking. And uh, when I expressed an interest in tasting some wine, he said, Raj, why don't you just go get yourself a sandwich, come on back here from the boulangerie next door, and then we'll we'll taste some wine and talk. Nice. So um, that uh, took most of our respective afternoons, and it was the most enjoyable experience um, that I had on, in my on my very first day in Sonoma. And what what were you doing here in Sonoma though? This uh, is well, um, the folks that I was helping manage a clinical trial for a pharmaceutical company, mm -hmm. a biotech company in the San Francisco Bay Area, and someone suggested to me that I wander up north to Napa and Sonoma, but um, my my travels had me come to Sonoma first. Nice. And I loved the ambiance um, uh, on the plaza, the the easy, um, um, e easy going and the casual um, approach yeah. to enjoying good food and, of course, fabulous wine. Yeah. 
And I began to think my, to myself that this could be a place where I could live. Um, and then the whole um, uh, memory began to resurface uh, of wine. Of, uh, and as my wife and I uh, met each other in 1999 and were married soon after, and she came to join me here, we often found ourselves going to the Sonoma Coast, uh, even in the winters when the storms would come. And uh, that began to then ferment, if you will, if you'll pardon the metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this uh, this uh, yearning to bring together an old um, story from the Indian classical texts um, about the gods and demons both wishing to be immortal, running off to uh, a supreme deity and asking, how do we get there? and receiving the answer that the answer lay in churning the cosmic ocean from which the nectar of immortality uh, would be received. Wow. Uh, when they did so, first the most horrid poisons emerged, and uh, then a goddess rose to the surface with a pot of nectar. But to their consternation, it wasn't that of immortality, it was that of wisdom. Ooh. Good. That's really good. Right? Yeah. So, so that tied in uh, in in my consciousness with um, uh, with the f simple fact that the stark landscape and the great immense gift of fog, the marine layer, uh, would would really help um, create um, an old world style white wine. Right. Um, and then, as my good fortune would have it, I was lucky enough to meet Steve San Giacomo. And how did that happen? Um, well, I literally called his office. Okay. And, uh, and to my immense um, relief and then gratitude, um, he called me back and said, Raj, why don't you come over and we'll talk. So, uh, what, so what year was this, Raj? This was 2000, um, f uh, let's see, 14, early 2014. Okay. Okay. Now, at, along the way, um, I'd begun making Rhone style whites okay. at home as a garageist. Yeah. Were you, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, the gentleman from the wine exchange? Yes. Um, he and his partner there, Dan. Yes. Um, they were home winemakers and kind of ran that home winemaking organization here oh, in the yes. valley. Yes. Did you start off working with them and, or and, just indeed, on your own? I, I, I indeed um, uh, was a member of yeah. what used to be called Von Des, and I believe that's is now called the Sonoma Home Winemaker yeah, Society yeah, for right. a number of years okay. and enjoyed my my participation there immensely. But I did take some courses at Napa College in winery operations mm -hmm. and enology and then supplemented my biochemistry um, proficiency with uh, an artistic um, impulse. Yep. And um, that helped me make some um, mostly Viognier's, uh -huh. but a little bit of Mosson and Roussan as well, which oh, cool. I would source um, from Lodi, mm -hmm. but um, again, make it in a very old world tradition, um, ensuring that the, um, the opulence of a Viognier could yeah. be balanced by acidity. Right. And create a wine that would be food worthy. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's and do awesome. you still have some of those wines? I do. As a matter of fact, I've got um, perhaps about six bottles of the very last Viognier I made before my wife uh, 
gently gently nudged me into getting out of the garage, <laughs> cluttering it up all with uh, small stainless steel tanks and piping. And, and I've the made like. beer at home, so the, it was the smell eventually that uh, forced my wife, well, forced me, my wife forced me to get out of the house because the smell oh. of fermentation, <laughs> yeah. um, she just wasn't really a big fan of. So, yeah, I can understand completely. Yes. Um, and some of those, so those wines were just for pure enjoyment for yes. research uh well, just uh, sharing them with friends yeah yes absolutely all of the above brian and um as i began to make the viognier i i found myself um coming to a central conclusion um that that essentially came to understanding the essence of an old world varietal in terms of what it would do firmly rooted in its new world terroir, having all the signature of the old world, but paying due heed to its new world terroir, and therefore making it in a way that would not compromise and um, homogenize, if you will, um, the true nature of the noble grape. Sure, sure. And um, in a warm clime like ours, I mean, I speak generally in California, both um, northern and central. Right. Uh, that requires a little bit of um, soul-searching, thinking through, and, and above everything, developing a deeply trusted relationship with your grower. Absolutely. I mean, that's, the, that's where it all starts with, is yeah. that... Um, Go, go right ahead. Indeed, indeed. And, uh, and so here in Sonoma, um, as I did in the initial years um, working in Lodi, I was really privileged to, uh, to meet Steve San Giacomo mm -hmm. and found uh, an, uh, an ethic, um, a, a, um, um, an aesthetic that Steve imparts to his work as a vigneron, he and his entire family. It's yeah. uh, to have farmed uh, lands here in Sonoma for almost 100 years, first as fruit uh, growers and then since the early 60s right. as vignerons. It's truly a remarkable um, legacy to, to look back on with great pride. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, we, we couldn't agree with you more. Um, yeah, we love that fruit and, and the fact that they went about a hundred years without actually making their own wine where they were just growing quality fruit for other people. Um, and then just recently decided to make their own wine, but th they have no, um, they're, they're, they don't apologize at all for being farmers <laughs> and, and doing that a hundred, 110%, um, and doing it like no one else. Absolutely. Uh, in Sonoma Valley. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. My, my travels in, in Burgundy and, uh, and then in particular in Chablis, um, reminds me of, um, the work of the vineyard in the vineyard when you have that precious mall, um, they gloriously call Cameridgian mall. But uh, the secret is clearly in the vineyard on having to pick up clods of that brown topsoil mm -hmm. and literally carry it up the hill in small carts and redeposit it up there, right, right, mixed right. in with the scree and the limestone that comes crashing down in the rains. Yeah. Um, it's hard work, and uh, although our topography is not quite like um, Burgundy or Chablis, still um, to be out there at five o'clock in the afternoon in Steve's Green Acres block, um, when it's 
can be 50 or 55 degrees Fahrenheit at five in the afternoon, um, managing the canopy and down. It, it's it's not an easy task yeah. uh, to do that yeah, year no, in, no, not year at all. out. Yeah. It's, and it's the attention to details that makes really makes the difference. And, um, you know, a lot of that comes with what they've learned working with the family um, and for so long. You know, they I think it was Steve who said um, when they were kids, if they were at practice, mm-hmm. then they didn't have to work. So that's why they were such good athletes is because they practiced a lot um if other than that they were working in the in the vineyards and or around the farm or whatever well even um, school they said they were happy to be in school not because they were happy learning right. they were happy that they weren't at home Quite. working the farm yeah. and and you know and it's so it's a work ethic and mm-hmm. it's a sense of um pride mm-hmm. and um and you know and and w- i think it, the thing about Europe is one what they have all that experience of, you know, where to grow these things, you know, it's where, where should Marsan be grown in California? Where should yeah. Rusan be grown in California? I, I don't know. Someone, someone will figure it out someday. Um, uh, but, but the experience, the generations of mm-hmm. experience, um, in grape growing. And this is one of the closest that we have to, yes. you know, um, closest to that. I, I call the San Giacomo family um, a bastion of Chardonnay growing yeah. in California, and they're nothing less than that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. so go on. So uh, you had a conversation with Steve. Um, you, w- you went down and saw him. And how did you get to the point of going, I'd like to buy some grapes? You oh, must have... we're, we're, we went for a spin in his, in his truck. Right. And uh, we traced through several vineyards. And we were talking uh, all that time, um, and as um, we both began to acquaint each other of our um, old world pedigree, his from Italy and mine from India, um, we both realized that uh, we were imparting to my endeavor on a very, very small scale, and his on a much, much larger one, uh, the same rigor and the same nod to an aesthetic that's rare to find. So um, what I said to him um, is that I was very clear that I didn't want to add um, you know, uh, to the volume of, of wine already in, 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 in the market. But I wanted to provide a, um, essentially harken back to the wine memory of yesteryear and to essentially uh, wager on an experiment as to how um, and whether a new world terroir could support an old world wine um, and maintain its elegance and balance while still um, being able to impart a certain restrained opulence to the wine. This became an experiment um, uh, for me. And so as we drove through and then walked through the vineyards, there were two vineyards in, uh, in Steve's portfolio that uh, really uh, resonated with me. One was clearly the Green Acres block, having to do with California's viticultural history, which, uh, although is, is, is young in comparison to the old world, is nonetheless quite impressive. And the other one, literally a mile across um, what is Stagegulch Road at the bottom of the hill, um, the El Noviero vineyard. Uh, it, um, and 
I'm sure you know them. Uh, you know this piece of viticultural history from California very well, uh, but it bears uh, Absolutely. repeating. Yeah. Uh, in that, Mr. Wenty from the Wenty family in Livermore. Uh, was fortunate enough to bring back, obtain and bring back some cuttings from, of all the places in Burgundy, Merceau, the absolute heart of Burgundy. Mm -hmm. And he brought some word back, um, planted it in the uh, Livermore um, area, but fortunately for us, um, gifted some of that word to Dr. Elmo at, mm. uh, at UC Davis. And Mind you, this was back in the 1930s, 1940s. Wow. Uh, it, the, the word, as Dr. Elmo propagated it at a UC Davis test station, uh, station um, exhibited some very unique characteristics in that um, yields were low, number one, which was fantastic. But number two, it exhibited what the French call mirandage, uh, shot berries, hens and chicks, uh, etc. Yeah. And... Um, Certain people um, expressed to Dr. Elmo that that, in their view, would be a defect that they'd rather have cured. And will you explain that what, what that means for people that don't know what that means? Absolutely. Uh, this I, I absolutely thrive on it. I find this immensely fascinating uh, because it, it really is the characteristic um, that imparts this freshness and acidity and this this racy um, uh, raciness, but yet quite restrained. So uh, the Shotberry syndrome um, is, is an artifact of a viral infection uh, in the vine, which limits yields, but also, um, as Steve mentioned to me during one of our walks, uh, miraculously almost, uh, has the bricks rise and then flatlines, flatlines in such a way that for a good eight to even 14 days, as a winemaker, you could go repeatedly into the vineyard, taste and sample and taste and analyze for what you consider intuitively physiological ripeness without any sacrifice in the bricks. In other words, not getting an overly ripe um, uh, uh, bunch of grapes. Right. But secondly, most importantly, the phenomenon consists of a cluster exhibiting lots of much smaller than typical sized berries, and only a few what we would consider normally sized berries. Mm. The consequence of that is that the cluster as a whole brings to the press a higher level of malic acid than it does tartaric acid. Mm. And that malic acid is, in, in my experience, I've found having sampled and enjoyed Grand Cru Chablis and uh, lovely white burgundies from Merceau, that um, it's the malic acid that provides a higher perceived acidity and finish on the back palate, creates for a more food-centric wine, mm -hmm. and also provides cellaring potential, right. uh, without right. getting into the chemistry aspects right. of, of uh, the PKs of malic versus tartaric acid. That created um, um, you know, a dilemma, but in, in those days, for farmers who were growing this, which later became known as the old, the true old right. Wente clone. Yeah, which is really a field selection more than a indeed, clone. Indeed, um, indeed. But anyway, Yes, sorry, but Dr. Olmo took that original word. Right. He planted it on Stanley Lane uh, in the Louis what used to be the Louis Martini property in Stanley Lane, just right. before you uh, reach Highway 29 right. in Napa. The heat treatment of the old 
Wenty clone resulted in a clone that is today the mother clone of all indigenous California Chardonnay, which was the old heritage clone for, the California heritage clone for. Clone four. Yes, yeah, okay. yes. So Darryl, okay. uh, Mr. Darrell Corty, whom I met um, shortly after I um, uh, released my inaugural vintage in 2016, of Corty Brothers, uh, the supermarket in Sacramento. He's very well known. I bet he liked this one. He <laughs> tremendously enjoyed yeah. it. And, um, and we, 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 my wife and I um, shared this wine with him um, in the back of his uh, quaint supermarket in, Sacramento, in downtown Sacramento. And amidst all the hustle and bustle of groceries and greens and vegetables going in and out of that cold room, uh, the three of us simply sat there quietly drinking, hmm. sip after sip after awesome. sip. <laughs> Brian, have you ever been yes. to Cordy Brothers? I have not. Yes. You know, yeah. We need yeah. to plan that yeah. trip over to Sacramento yeah. and, um, and, and get Craig. Yeah. Um, and then go to Cordy Brothers. Right, you would, right. You would love it. So, yeah. yes. um, so uh, to, to simply complete the story uh, very briefly, what became known as Old Heritage or California Heritage Clone 4 uh, has now been propagated throughout the state. But what I found on S Steve's um, and the Sargiacomo um, family's El Noviero vineyard, which is only a mile apart from Green Acres, is that the soil is extremely shallow uh, in that if you were to excavate six, eight feet, you'd, you would hit prehistoric seabed. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so um, the heat treatment, however, combined with the clone four in Steve Sargiacomo's hands uh, in the El Novero vineyard, combined with its exposure to the marine layer, the fog that comes creeping down the hills right. uh, in the late afternoon stays until um, 10, 11 the next morning. And after it's dissipated, the bay breezes begin, pick, begin picking, up, picking up. What that does is it imparts a, a richness and a restrained opulence to the fruit, notes of tropicality, if you like, mm -hmm. without any compromise in the acidity whatsoever. Interesting. Um, so much so that in 2014, uh, my wife and I harvested um, the green acres on, 20, on the 25th of September uh, on our wedding an anniversary at one o'clock in the morning, as you must with Chardonnay. But um, we'd already harvested the El Nervi area a good 20 days before. Wow. And yet the pH and the titratable acidities lined up absolutely on top of each wow. other. They were identical. Wow. So um, I was very um, compelled, therefore, to undertake a winemaking style, an approach uh, that would absolutely not compromise on the native essence, the native acidity and the native fruit characteristics right. of these lovely old clones. Right. Yeah. And how did, what did Steve San Giacomo say when you, you said that you were interested in getting grapes from him? <laughs> I mean, I think they probably have a, a little waiting list oh, uh, of people right. that would love to get yes. grapes. Yes. And then not only are you sourcing out of one vineyard, yes. but you're, you're getting uh, Well, uh, Andy's asking for particular <laughs> vineyards. It's right. not like, right. excuse me, Mr. San Giacomo, uh, if you had a couple extra tons, I'd love to buy some. He's saying, I want two Slightly of your Slightly bruised, even. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and I want the old Winty stuff, which when you talk about the old Winty clones, it, 
Bart, is that sort of how it is with some of the Zinfandel, where you've got the well? If the you remember when we unusual size berries, yeah, in I every remember we walking and, through um, Los Chamazol this last year, and as we were going up the hill, there were different areas where there was a lot more shot berries, right? You know, um, so absolutely, and you know the different size clusters and stuff, but nothing has ever been like identified and really honed in like this old you know, the Wenty clone. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that people, um, really kind of talk about. It's, it's in the marketing. It's winemakers are very passionate about getting it and keeping it separate. Um, whereas Zinfandel, I mean, there's certainly different clones, the Duprat, um, clone or the Dupat, um, cutting is very, very popular. Um, there's, you know, many different ones. Um, uh, the upper Weiss, um, uh, cuttings, the Jack London vineyard cuttings. Um, the, but but no one really goes to the point of like pointing them out on labels and stuff. Right. It's it's more of selections. But what that does is it, it adds complexity to the wine, though, right? Because you're getting different sized grapes in there that are some are a little bit higher in acid, some a little lower, some a little. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the difference between what Raj is t- speaking about is that they're looking for that in to not make the typical atypical California Chardonnay, which right. is the big fat buttery bomb right because right. um, he's trying to make something different um, uh, whereas in Zinfandel um, you know that's your every bunch of Zinfandel has um, vine, or grapes that are behind you know that are still kind of opalescent or you know maybe even slightly green and it's other things are starting ripening. to it's just not even ripening right. so it's a little different uh, I wish Sam was here um, it's a little more physiology of of it than um Right. Then with this. But I can see how if someone, uh, a farmer had those Winty clones, that it would be a little bit challenging because you're looking for tons per acre when you're selling it. And so you're you're basically tying one hand behind your back and saying, you know, maybe we're not going to get as much fruit, but we're going to get better fruit, I, I hope is the goal. Well, so, so to your earlier point about uh, Steve's uh, generosity, um, you know, uh, uh, there's no other word to describe it. Yeah. Um, he, he, he was and has been extremely generous in allocating a few rows uh, to me. Um, and um, with regard to um, the yield, um, I recall, uh, if memory serves right, um, that in 2014, that particular block of the Green Acres vineyard um, provided yields of approximately two tons an acre, perhaps mm. even less, which is simply, you know, in any other industry or farming uh, area, it would be called subsistence farming. Right. And remember, yeah, Brian, yeah. this is the block that the family originally planted. Yes. Right. So um, yes. it's the oldest vines yes. on yeah. the property. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, another thing, and, and again, I wish Sam was here because I would pose this as a question, not pretending like I actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, um, you know, these bunches are also smaller. And and if we think about when we talk about how, you know, Phil's um, comment about um, uh, hanging with integrity and filtered in filtered light and dappled in sunlight, dappled sunlight which, yes. believe it or not raj has that on his website <laughs> he ha- and i thought that was really interesting because we talk about that all the time so <laughs> so um uh it's it's less about i mean you could still theoretically possibly put out a little more fruit because the bunches aren't as big and you don't have to worry about them laying on top of each other oh uh, interesting and remember because that's something you try to that, 
that winemakers always ask is for that fruits not piled on top of each other because that's right. places where you can start to get mold or um, you know right. things don't get ripened because there's no sun on both sides and you know. So paint a picture for me of these clusters. Are they about the size of your fist balled up? Is that uh, um, or are we talking well, larger? Slightly, um, slightly, maybe probably to your wrists. Okay, um, uh, and that's the typical size of a cluster. Right, um, and uh, but I would. I'll uh, be tempted to say that approximately 70% um, of these typical clusters that exhibit mirandage, um, um, 70% of the berries in those clusters uh, do exhibit um, shot berries. Wow. Or, or, or are actually shot berries, right. or, or what, what we call chicks. Right. Whereas about 30% approximately would be the hens, the equivalent of the hens. Yeah. yeah. So, so Steve says, hey, let's do this. Uh, I'll give you some fruit. At that point, you know, uh, or your wife knows, or you know that you're not coming home with these, uh, with these grapes to your garage. So, uh, Indeed. Yeah, so had you already had a place lined up? That you then, were gonna be- make- then we began, oh, I began a, uh, a flurry of calls and, and visits um, to area wineries uh, who, uh, whom I thought I might, you know, um, <laughs> Beg, grovel, plead. <laughs> so you thought maybe you could slip in there, <laughs> right? Yeah. Absolutely. And so, and so, 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 who was the lucky winery? Well, it, it, I, I must say, in all you know, um, honesty and uh, with all modesty, um, I was the lucky one because um, there were a number of wineries um, who um, ex- who expressed an interest, um, but also because uh, of my unique requirements in that I would. Uh, be responsible for all facets of the winemaking. Yeah, I know in, how that goes. In, including yeah. um, the last two to three weeks of being very hands-on in the vineyard, which Steve magnanimously allows me to do. Wow. Um, uh, it became a bit of a challenge, only because of the bureaucratic aspects, um, right. and the, the insurance aspects and so yeah. forth. But fortunately, I met uh, Robert Rex uh, okay. at, at Deerfield Ranch, um, who is um, also of the old world bent, um, mm-hmm. uh, sure and uh, and we got along quite well, and he, he agreed that um, a limited responsibility in the context of um, the you know the the bonded and licensed winery uh, for me would be appropriate, um, and I also found that the people who work in the cellar, the staff, are all very very. Um, uh, experienced and they bring a great passion and joy for yeah. what they do there and uh, when they realized that I was uh, I planned to make an old world style Chardonnay um, they were excited yeah. and uh, we, great. we've had uh, two vintages um, under our belt so far but only because I I'm um, let's say a bit more judicious about the years that I uh, make wines in also because it is the infancy of my little micro or nano sized venture right and i want to calibrate my production against the channel uh, you know what um i I think what you're saying is that you don't want to produce too much wine that you can't sell when you want and um i can tell you with experience um uh, the past couple years i've been looking at you know people say we didn't make Cabernet this year. And I was like, well, I still had plenty of inventory, so we'll come back to it. And Mm -hmm. it definitely comes with its challenges, doesn't it? Because making sure to tie up your grapes and, um, uh, yeah, yeah. But it's, it truly is the right thing to do because, um, sitting on a bunch of inventory doesn't help you out at all either. Um, 
And uh, as but Brian always if, says, uh, uh, we should all just um, keep selling our wine and, you know, just because there's always more coming. Well, and keep drinking. I, I just don't like when people say, oh, I'm saving that bottle for a special occasion. I say, open that up tonight. Go buy another bottle. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. But if you're saying that, um, so was there a vintage that you got grapes and did not actually produce a wine under your label? Uh, well, um, this would have been, uh, 2018 would have been that year. Um, I um, decided early on that um, until such time that I um, established a couple of um, sales channels and came rather close uh, in 2018, uh, rather close to establishing a sales channel for New York and uh, the Northeastern United States. But after almost eight months, almost you know, perfectly timed for harvest. Just as soon as I was, I was going to pull the trigger and and call Steve. Um, uh, that uh, discussion went south simply because of the uh, the fact that the broker or distributor there in New York City had already had a number of um, thoroughbreds yeah. in his stable, yeah. and it, then want to bring it, another one. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's really, and I have not tried to find a broker to work mm-hmm. with. Um, I've been to tastings before where they say there will be brokers there and they mm-hmm. want to, they're looking for people. I found none of them were ever actively looking for people. Um, and, and it's, um, yeah, it's not as easy as just say, you know, um, I'll, there's a broker in Missouri. Um, I have some people from St. Louis and like, oh, well, you know, we know some restaurants that would definitely carry this. And I say, it's not that easy. You need a broker and, um, and then you need to get the attention of the broker. And then, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's... I, I, or like Sam just did. Sam just went back east and, you know, held people's hands in uh, Detroit and Chicago and New York or Philly, yeah. wherever he was. Well, I mean, and, going and showing your face and getting right. in front of people. And, and that's not that's not easy to do for everyone when you're uh, a smaller winemaker just to just to pick up and, and go pay for all your own uh, flights and hotels and dinners and, and all of those things just yeah. to get wine in front of people. Right. And, and understand, it does, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. You know, you know, Raj, when you go out and sell and you get to tell your story, people pay more attention mm-hmm. and they're more likely to you know, eventually buy something. Um, when, at, when I was at Benziger and Kenwood, we'd go out on sales blitzes and um, I, would get, I got to go to Chicago a number of times. And there was a different emphasis put on it when we were out there. And it did make a difference, you know. Um, uh, and it and it helps it helps the salesperson stay fresh because really that's what it is. I mean, these guys have books. Brian, you you were on the other side of it. What what do those books look like when a sales rep from a larger brokerage, not even a distributor, just a brokerage? I can comes? tell you, in seven years, maybe I opened three or four of those books on, and I'm talking three or four occasions mm-hmm. over those period of years. For for me, I I like the element of surprise. I like seeing things that come in that I didn't know about and I like to actually research them myself sometimes a lot of times I didn't really um, get get a chance to sit down with a winemaker I would sort of investigate the situation and and something would intrigue me and then I'd then I'd reach out and say would you mind coming in you know I've I've had the wine but I'd just like to talk to you and find out a little bit more about the story but um, like with brokers just you know the fact of how many labels they have in their books is well, and, and then the emphasis y- that are placed a lot of it. times i think as a buyer you get soured by the southern and young's 
um, model, which is, you know, you feel like they've got a quota of things that they need to sell and they're putting things in front of you and, and you feel like, you know, I don't even, would they drink this at home tonight? Are they going home and drinking this? And Bart, you're one of those guys. Sam is one of those guys. One, when you were sitting in front of me, I felt like he's probably going to go home and drink one of his own wines. tonight. (laughs) That felt good to me that, that, you know, you had a love of what you were doing and, and there was a reason you were drinking it, not because you were going to get a better commission this month or because your boss was telling you, you might get to move to the Northwest if you sold a certain amount of this product or whatever that was. I mean, I, I, I loved the get the, to move to the Northwest, <laughs> whatever, you know, what, however those, those companies move their people around in, in some yeah. way that they do. I almost felt bad for a lot of the reps that they would sort of, it didn't seem like they had the love of the wine. It was more the love of the sale. Um, and, and, and I much prefer the love of the wine. And I, I think that energy comes across when people are talking about it. Um, and it's a much more interesting conversation. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So um, go back to the wines now. Uh, I went ahead and poured the 2014, the El Novalero. How do you, how do you, how do you say that again? El Novalero. El Novalero. El Novalero. Okay. And, and I'm not sure what the translation is. Well, uh, Steve told me that um, the um, the Spaniards uh, call an apprentice matador, matador, an el noviero, because he's, um, he um, or she um, right. is, is a newbie, if you will. Right. Uh, right. But interestingly, in Priorat, barely a month ago, when my wife and I were traveling uh, in that uh, particular part of Spain's wine regions, uh, we met a young um, uh, lady, a Mexican winemaker, who I think is going to be a star um, in, a, in, in, a, in less than a decade, uh, extremely bright and um, uh, energetic and knowledgeable. And uh, when I told her about the El Noviero, uh, she said, um, in Mexico, an El Noviero is uh, typically a young man who has Shall we say money, friends? Yeah, <laughs> so, funny. Funny. so cultural nuances across continents. Right. Oh, yes. and, <laughs> and what it was her name, so we can uh, maybe remember that name. And, <laughs> oh, I'll and have to see. look at my business card. Uh, yeah, okay. You have to do that. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, uh, so, um, you know, beyond the fact that they're kind of two different um, uh, vintages, um, to yeah, me, let's... I think the El Novo Valero... Um, you can taste a little bit more of those shallow soils mm. and um, it's a little more salinity to it. And um, the, the uh, e- both of them have equal crispness um, uh, in different kind of styles. Um, I'm curious, could you talk a little bit about some of the winemaking as far as, um, you know, obviously picking at night, um, but once it gets into the winery, you know, what kind of some of your parameters are? Indeed, indeed. Um, these are made in a in a very um, um, straightforward way, if you will. Um, essentially, harvesting between one and um, six in the morning. Um, I bring the fruit into the cave no later than seven thirty a.m. and we begin pressing whole cluster um, almost right away. Um, the fruit undergoes a triple sort um, in in that um, at the time, literally at the time of harvest, 
Um, my wife and I do enough work, and of course, preceded by Steve and his crew's meticulous attention to the vineyard throughout the year, uh, we do enough work such that the actual harvesting of the clusters into uh, the 40-pound bins is done uh, in a way that, you know, uh, any any botrytized uh, clusters would have already been dropped by that time. We do a second sorting in the macro bins as the clusters come in there on the tractor. And then finally, at the winery, we do the final sorting uh, just before the fruit is um, uh, placed into a, a tank press and uh, using an algorithm that I've developed uh, along with the staff there we go through the softest of pressing protocols. Something uh, like a champagne program? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. very much so, yeah. And so, um, in this case, so uh, in kind of typical, well, what used to happen with presses, when a press would start to press, when it would end its cycle, it would rotate. Mm-hmm. Um, and in champagne pressing, um, they typically do very few rotations. They may do one or possibly two over the hour and 20 minutes. Um, and the idea is there is to cut down on the phenolics and to um, just be as gentle as possible. So just very gentle. Yeah, yeah. very gentle. Yeah. Um, and, and later, we, after 48 hours typically of cold pressing, um, of cold, soak, cold soaking and settling, we rack the juice and um, inoculate it. I al- always use um, um, commercially procured yeast. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my favorites. Um, and um, then begin initiate primary fermentation. It usually takes about 14 to 18 days to complete um, primary fermentation mm-hmm. to absolutely bone-dry conditions. And um, that's followed by a very, very mild sulfuring uh, and then placement in neutral oak for uh, 14 to 16 months. And um, and I'm sorry, did you say it was fermented in stainless steel? Yes. Yeah, yes. and then um, a non-ML, I assume. Absolutely, yes, yes, yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, get the freshness. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, although, you know, I I think some burgundy goes through ML. Indeed, um, right. indeed. And and Chablis, I've, I'm not sure. Does uh, we'll, uh, so um, with the warming that we've all experienced in various parts of the world, um, especially in um, Beaumont, um they've had a reduced necessity to do malolactic fermentation. But the the um, the genesis, and and I'm sure lots of your listeners will will write in and 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 somehow weigh in. My understanding, having spoken with vignerons there, is that um, centuries ago, um, or at least decades ago, the the vignerons, the Chablisiens, found that um, wines could be thin in particularly wet and cold years. And so the idea of barrel fermentation followed by malolactic intervention was almost a necessity to impart body and texture to the wine. Um, The the fact that the malolactic uh, intervention created a a rounder um, mouthfeel helped. Uh, But those wines, in any case, are ones that you would sell for 10 years before opening the very first, wow. and then possibly enjoy for another 10 to 15 years. 
Um, so in the context of Chablis um, Premier Cru, Grand Cru, in the context of Merceau occasionally, uh, or the Montrachets, some vignerons choose to still uh, conduct some malolactic intervention. Right. But it isn't their first methodology. It's only um, when necessary. Right. Um, in the new world, you know, we've adopted that uh, methodology with gusto yeah. and uh, with the effects that we are all too familiar with. And uh, th- th- that, uh, no, I don't say that with any prejudice right. whatsoever. No, no, yeah. 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 It's, style, it's stylistic. It's just, you know, yeah. what, what, it, what people like. People Absolutely. Enjoy. Right. Yeah. So. And where have you placed the wines so far? Well, we've um, been really, really fortunate. Um, the um, uh, the conversations that I had with uh, your colleagues, Brian, mm-hmm. uh, notably starting with Mark Irving, the lead sommelier at the at Chante, the Michelin, um, resulted in the wine being placed there. Um, and um, as luck would have it, um, about two years ago, my wife and I found ourselves on Main Street in Yonville having mm-hmm. a croissant coffee at Bouchon Bakery. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife simply asked me, um, uh, she said to me, why don't you go into Bouchon, introduce yourself? And uh, I looked at her with absolute amazement. And uh, But she was gentle, and but persuasive, as she always is. So there I mustered the courage up and walked in, introduced myself, um, and uh, Elias Mandelaris, who um, at the time uh, was the um, beverage director at Ad Hoc, happened to be in the house there, just up the street. And two weeks later, um, I received an email from him uh, while I was in China on biotech business to come and pour the wines. So um, a few days afterwards, uh, my wife and I found ourselves in the house with Chef. Um, in attendance, um, presenting the wines and uh, pouring them for the entire staff. Wow. And then having the staff uh, weigh in with their own very considerable expertise and, and had experience. That, oh, that was an, an extraordinary experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, there's nothing like getting a placement in a restaurant that you respect or love. And I remember my first one at a state with Brian bought it and... Um, yeah, you you never forget those things. You never forget them. So, um. and we're actually, and I, I saw you in the other day. So I'm hoping that we are going to place one of the Chardonnays by the glass on our list at the hotel. I would be delighted if okay. um, yeah, as and when that happens. I know, I know that uh, Brandon and I are very interested in doing that, and we'll push Mark as hard as possible <laughs> if, Thank if you we so can. Very much. Yeah, because we'd love to be able to share this. Mm-hmm. And you know, recommending a bottle of wine is one thing, but when you can recommend a glass and mm-hmm. and have someone taste the wine, um, I think we can get it in front of more people that way. Indeed. Um, yeah. And and Bart, these are the type of winemakers that I love having on the podcast too, because. Mm-hmm. I don't know when you would have the opportunity to try Raj's wine if you didn't hear about it from someone. For me, I'm, I mean, I'm in the business, and it took a fellow psalm that said, oh, man, you've really got to try this wine. This is really distinctive and different and good. And well, we're, we're not shy to say that the reason why we ha- do this podcast so we can taste a bunch of good wine. Right. I mean, I imagine uh, someone who ran a restaurant might do the same thing to have chefs come in and bring them food, right? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Pointing to Sandra yes. off in the distance <laughs> yes. there. Yes. 
So um, I was concentrating on something else. Right. But but both very um, unique, um, sort of uh, complementary. I, I wouldn't say contrasting styles mm. of the two wines. I think they're complementary styles. Um, Indeed. Um, yeah. And the, the, the idea of a single clone or a single selection in a single vineyard began to then resonate with me after Steve and I had repeated discussions around the style of wine that I would have liked to produce. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, in doing so, it, and especially after two vintages, uh, it's become clear to me that the El Noviero produces wines in, uh, that are a bit closer to Montrachet, mm-hmm. uh, whereas the Green Acres block produces wines that are a bit closer to Chablis Grand Cru. Yes, definitely. Um, I might even venture to say, um, you know, Valmore, Leclos, um, in, in that category. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a privilege um, I'm not to, have, to have Chardonnay of this quality being grown in Sonoma. Yeah. I'm not and, shy uh, to say that my favorite of the two is the, uh, is the Green Acres. I, I'm, I'm in the same camp. And actually, even though we have the wine on the list, I, I reached out to Raj and ordered a couple of bottles to my house because you, I couldn't get enough of Thank it. Thank you so very much. And, uh, and Mark actually asked me which one we would prefer to pour by the glass. And, and I said, I, I hope we get to pour the Green Acres because I think it's a very distinctive style. Um, but we'll see if that comes to fruition. Can you talk uh, briefly about the labels? It's a beautiful oh, label. And yes. the name of the wine is Ocean's Churning. And this beautiful label is on uh, both of the wines. Well, again, um, um, this is all you know, grand design, uh, divine intervention, uh, whatever one is inclined to say about it. Uh, but having um, lived in Sonoma for now about 20, 21 to 22 years, uh, within my having moved here, um, perhaps about two years after I moved here, I was, uh, my wife and I were on uh, the plaza on a Tuesday afternoon in the summer, farmer's market, and a, um, a, um, a gentleman walked up to me uh, and said, are you Persian by any chance? And I said, no, um, I'm from India. Well, in that case, you ought to meet my good friend, uh, Mr. Prasanna, who is also from India. And a few weeks later, I had the privilege and honor of meeting Mr. Prasanna, who was um, one of India's most iconic artists in the wow. 1950s and 60s, whose work had been collected um, by German opera stars and uh, industrialists in Europe, etc. Uh, but he lived um, in a hut on a hill outside Bombay, and people would have their chauffeurs drop them off at the bottom of the hill and make the pilgrimage, as it were, up there to spend a few hours with him. And when it rained, it would just rain through roof, uh, <laughs> leaks in the roof and, and, and um, flood the, the, the floor of, of his modest home. But uh, as he said, he spent the first half of his life in art uh, painting the spirit of nature and then for a second, he painted the nature of spirit. So um, being from India, he instantly understood and saw the, um, the depth of the, the story behind Ocean's Churning, that yearning to be immortal, yet receiving the nectar of wisdom from the yes. goddess. In vino veritas, yes, a little bit. Yeah. Indeed. And, and so um, he told me 
um, you didn't have to, I didn't even have to begin to describe what I would have liked on the label. Uh, and a few days later, he called me uh, and my wife to his home in Sonoma, and um, and there we have it. Yeah, wow. Isn't that amazing that you both ended up in Sonoma? Yes, indeed. you had no idea that he Absolutely lived here. Absolutely none. And this yeah. was and this was the original piece of artwork he created. He created this yeah. especially for me. Yeah, well, and that's, I'm that's special. Uh, it's spectacular. I'm deeply yeah. indebted. Um, all the. Um, in, in, in India, art works in many levels. There's the immediate um, sense of um, the, the sensory experience, but then what um, sustains the sensory experience is the recognition, the re-knowing of one what one intrinsically knows. Mm -hmm. And uh, in India, art, music, dance, drama, literature. Uh, we have almost 23 languages, full-blown languages in India. Wow. Each with its own script, um, each with its literature going back 2,000 years, um, and with all the foods and customs and dress uh, of, of that diverse country. So art works on a sensory level first and then begins to work subliminally into um, that which is ingrained in all of us yet because of the play of the mind, mm -hmm. it rarely comes to the fore. But people, the most ordinary people in India, and I say that with the utmost respect, uh, deeply are cued into that sense of the infinite and infinitesimal. And art simply rejuvenates that knowing. And this, this, this label and, and the painting behind it is another example of it. Yeah. Mm. That's awesome. Beautiful. Beautiful, and I love the name of Raj. I love the wines. Mm. Sandra has joined us at the table. Sandra, I'm sorry. If you want to grab a glass, do you want to try uh, the wine? Are you not... Uh, I'm healthy if you want. Yeah, I'll, I'll taste a sip. But you know, okay. I don't really drink that much Chardonnay. Oh, please. <laughs> no offense, Raj. <laughs> so, Sandra, you're going to have to learn to speak into the microphone. Oh, jeez. Oh, no. Can you hear me? Well, first, can, can we... Um, Talk about how people can get a hold of the wines if they're interested, um, which you should be. Uh, if you're a wine lover, it's oceanschurning.com, correct, uh, Raj? Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Yes. And, um, and you can ship into pretty much any... Uh, Most states except about seven or eight that are particularly... Um, Gorgeous. Isn't it good? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you Gorgeous. so very much, yeah. Sandra. Coming from you, it's an honor. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, um, there are about seven or eight states that um, uh, I I would prefer not shipping to because of the right. uh, the, uh, the understandable bureaucratic issues around it. But we can ship to almost um, yes, forty two or forty three states, okay. if I'm not mistaken. And locally, is there somewhere that people can pick up the wine besides doing oh, what I did, which is oh, just kind of you. reach out and Indeed. have it sent to my house? Uh, absolutely. Can, can we introduce you to uh, Todd out at Sonoma's Best, possibly? Oh, that would be delightful. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I must also mention uh, Robert Della Santino, um, oh, uh, who, who again at um, um, about two years ago. I walked into his shop, his lovely little wine bar there I, I, in the afternoon, and he and a friend were tasting lots of wines. And then uh, we began talking as I poured the wines, and we talked quite a bit. And then uh, he immediately texted Stephen saying, hooray for you, <laughs> and hooray for Raj as well. So I'm very grateful. So, um, so uh, Robert has uh, some of the uh, Chardonnay. Okay. Uh, another uh, place in 
Santa Rosa in uh, on um, you know, in downtown on Fourth Street, I believe. It's Willoughby's uh, Wines and Spirits. They carry mm-hmm. some of the Chardonnay. Too. It's actually, I think it's Third Street. Yeah, Willoughby's. Thank yes. you. Thank yeah. you. Yes. Yeah, it, Willoughby's is a nice little wine shop if you haven't been through there. Yeah, I've never heard of it. They have a wine bar in the back. They probably have about 20 wines by the glass and okay. um, some taps. Okay. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, and I, you know, I just stopped in last week to, uh, Sandra and I had lunch at uh, El Molino and I had a little time to kill before going to work. I actually stopped by the panel. Um, which used to be Wendy's Wine Shack and stopped in it and met the owner and her daughter. Lovely people. Yeah, doing a nice job. And they know all of you guys. They <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we were, we were all on the panel. Right. Yeah. Um, and, was um, I on when you were on? No, no we were on. Yeah, yeah, we were just right there within that. And that's when Wendy owned it. Right. But a and, great uh, little spot. They do free Wi-Fi, so they're, and they've got an espresso machine. So there's people that just stop in there that are just, it's almost like a, like a cool Starbucks where people go in and they're just kind of drinking coffee or having a glass of wine or even a beer and doing work on their laptops. And, yeah. and, and the owner was so nice and gave me a tour and showed me around. and free and Wi-Fi here. I know. I signed on uh, when I got here okay, today. Good. You're, yeah. you're going to get an email from me. I know. I know. I <laughs> you can put no Joe Blow or one whatever of, you want because that's what everybody else does. Okay. Yeah. One of many emails from you. Um, <laughs> and um, so, so um, I would say, you know, if you're interested in getting some wine for uh, the holidays or even buying some wine as gifts for the holidays, this um, I think this would be a really special gift to give to uh, someone in your family or uh, or even to yourself, which is what I probably will end up doing. Um, no one just really knows on what I want Santa's for list. I just never know what I want one? for Christmas. So I, I usually just end up buying it for myself when I see uh, when I see what I want. Um, so then just ask for money. And <laughs> <laughs> you can buy whatever that's, you want. <laughs> I guess you're right. Well, and Sandra, can you and I talk about uh, something that's going on here in the um, in the in the uh, immediate future with the two of us? Yeah, why not? Um, pourquoi pas, which is my favorite saying of all times. Why not in <laughs> French? And I can actually remember that. Um, we have been dabbling about, talking about this for a few months now, um, maybe longer even but i think you guys with the winemakers have just done such a phenomenal phenomenal job i'm blown away by the education when i listen i don't listen just because you're my friends i listen because i actually learn so much you have fascinating guests on and i thought wow wouldn't it be great if we could do something that rolled out on the food side of things and even though grapes you know our food turn into wine Um, I think the topics are endless, and it's certainly something that we're also passionate about. Mm -hmm. Um, We certainly have enough contacts that, you know, would want to talk about all things food. Absolutely. And so um, after, like, going through names, we came up with um, The Bike Goes On. And we're trying to get the licensing for the beat goes goes on. on Are you really? For the podcast. I'm waiting to hear back from them. And um, yeah, so we're going to start recording next week and uh, getting our list together. Our website is live at um, thebikegoeson.com. Wow, you have a website? Why, don't you have a website at the winemakers? No, maybe Uh, we ought to. Well, we have a Facebook page. Yeah. (laughs) We have a Facebook page at the bike. Sandra, you have to remember that. We have an Instagram on um, Bite Talk. 
Right. At Bite Talk. You know, the way the winemaker started was sort of four of us wanting to get together and drink wine. And somehow it, it, it um, um, came into a podcast. And, and, but we never really put much thought into how it was all going to come together. Right. And so I'm, I'm blessed that... And um, we literally like go... Hey, I got so into over this week. When can you record? <laughs> right. And then well, sometimes I, we sure just show up. I'm sure that's going to happen for us. I'm going to try and pin Brian down for like right. a certain amount of Mondays because we can be here freely with no other noise. Yeah. But, you know, I had um, a radio show on KSVY for about three and a half years yeah. called The Sonoma Kitchen. I remember that. Yeah, I loved it. I think I was before Kathleen and after a wine person, I think, but I loved it. But what became really challenging was getting guests to come on and, you know, they had to come into the studio and podcasting has really opened up such a fantastic, versatile, you know, form of expression because you can take it on the road, you can go places. And obviously you guys are shown that in wineries and events and farms and vineyards. And yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. I don't know that we'll, be in manufacturing plants or anything like that but you never know you never know you sometimes never know. you just have to go where the story is and that's yeah. and that's what i loved most well that's not what i loved most there's a lot of things i loved about working with sandra but but one of the things that was really great about working at the girl in the fig was that it was about the stories the wine list for me was very personal it was relationship based and that doesn't mean that if you had a crappy yeah, wine and i was a friend of yours that right. you made it on the list it, it meant that it meant that uh, we knew the people that we were in business with and we knew their practices and we knew, we knew not only them, but sometimes, you know, their family and, and a lot of times they were the ones dropping off product. And it was like that with, I mean, we're sitting now next to the girl in the fig garden. It's the same way. There's a story to be told there. And Sandra and I both love stories. So I think yeah. this was a, a good fit for the both of us that we're just going to try and tell some stories and, and have people come on and share their stories. We, we think it's uh, interesting and, um, and worthwhile. And, um, I'm very excited myself. I, uh, you know, I listen to quite a few podcasts, uh, either working out or on my bike and stuff. And, um, yeah, I think it'd be good. You, and you know, you, the two of you should be very entertaining. Well, there's so many ways to go, you know, with food yeah. because it touches it. People. I thought about this, that, together. that food touches every single person on the planet. Right. And it, in similar ways. And I mean, it was funny, even like playing with the website, you know, the first bio I put on was, you know, my typical, oh, 21 years, girl in the fig, blah, 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 from Philadelphia. Brian came up with this incredible bio about his relationship growing up with food. So, of course, I had to change mine to my relationship, which is totally opposite of brian's but we have oh, that's i now want to go read yeah, it <laughs> exactly i'm not going to give it away but right. i think it c converges together yeah you know, where it ends up i think right. we're you know on the same place we have some um i i've been working with some really cool people right now um through the foundation in where we're giving grants and um, you know, I've never been a food politics person or, you know, anything like that. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff coming to the forefront about organic and not that it's a new thing, but it, it there's always something going on, you know, whether it's the ugly food movement or, you know, continuing to feed millions and millions of people that can't get food or raising the bar for 
you know, the next generation chefs or the farmers or how we get people, um, you know, how it grows from how yeah. we put it in our mouths. Yeah. Well, and for me, it completes a story. You know, a lot of times you've got the mushroom forager that drops off the mushrooms at the restaurant. I want to follow them home. Right. I want to see what they do in their off time. How, how did they right. get into that life? You know, you've got the people that are gardening. How did you get into that? I, right. I can't wait to follow these people home. Yeah. yeah, and I, th I think we'll make it non-typical. I mean, I think we'll have lots of information that I think everybody, you know, would be curious about. But yeah. I think our curiosity goes deeper. And so I think um, we're going to get it out of them. I'm right. pretty sure. Right. We're going to dig deep. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. Oh, that would have been a good title, too. Dig deep. <laughs> We had a lot of titles. Can I tell them my favorite one? Yeah, no. And so that they know yes, that, but that they're, yeah, they're very lucky that they, they were can. spared? Yes. Is that all right? Since yeah, it is my ahead. podcast? Exactly. Okay. No, uh, it's our <laughs> podcast. Yeah, that's true. Isn't that funny how we take <laughs> ownership just like that? Wow. I'm sitting in front of the mixing board, yeah. so it yeah. feels yeah. like... Yeah. I, oh. I, well, if I, there's we, any sound issues, you'll know who's to blame. Right. That's exactly right. Right. I know. Well, yeah. you know, and, there's... And when people say... Boy, it sounded terrible really today. Well, it's Brian's exactly. podcast, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, coming up with a name, and Sandra and I think we're in the same we're in the same boat. That it, you know, it's really hard to get started unless you, that that foundation. I think what we call usul, the base of the pillar. One until you have that base of the pillar, it's hard to build. And so we were sort of s stuck for about a week with the uh, with the name. But um, I think the bite goes on is perfect. But and I can tell you that that thankfully Saunders involved and this has been a, a common theme not just over the last <laughs> month but over the last 10 years of my life thankfully Saunders involved because well, the decisions that I make well. sometimes mm -hmm. you know I'm I'm out in left field Saunders reining me back in constantly so uh, you can see that the title that I came up with was in your mouth <laughs> yeah I mean can you imagine hi this is Sandra Bernstein in your mouth in your mouth because I oh thought that God. was you I know be, food that goes would in be your like mouth. sexual harassment I would be like <laughs> taken away from my restaurant they well what like, isn't there done. isn't there there's one of the tv shows one of the uh, the, the cooking tv shows one of them is like get in my mouth now or get in my belly. Get in my belly. Well, that's you. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people that are, use yeah. hashtag but, get my But belly. that works. Yeah, get in my yeah. belly. That's yeah. Belly's yeah. a little bit get in my tamer. Mouth. And, um, I didn't say get in my mouth, yeah. Bart. I just said then, in your mouth because I thought the, it, re it applies know, to everything, uh, food, drink, um, you know, that we were talking about. Is everything is getting ingested. Exactly. And the picture he sends me, <laughs> he sends me a picture, the picture of him with the headband and the glasses. Oh, the, the Roan Rangers headband yeah. and Can my pink sunglasses. Can you put this on the website for my picture? And I'm like, no. Right. <laughs> no, we're going to come off serious. And then if you want to do whatever. Right. You'll have that. I get to wear the headband in my free time. You, can wear, exactly. you can wear it while you're talking. <laughs> while you're podcasting, <laughs> while as you're long podcasting. as you're not right. video so casting. The, the only other thing I wanted to add is on the website, uh, the bite.coms, there is a um, be our guest page. Yes. So people, if you want to get on, um, want to get on the podcast and have some fun with us, um, there's a place where you can just shoot us a, a message saying what you want to talk about uh, when you're available and um, we're really excited because we're gonna be calling people out but you know it can go both ways so yeah. well now I'm excited to see Kathleen Hill I think it would be nice to have her on and and uh, if she can bring some of her yeah, fabulous kitchen gadgets that maybe I can her. borrow for a week and come back and let her know how they worked exactly. out that'd be fun yeah. yeah yeah she's excited 
So Sandra and I will get together next week and we'll uh, keep you posted as to the uh, first show, but I'm sure you will see it if you are on social media. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably so. Yeah. Um, Raj, thanks again. Well, thank you, Brian. Uh, thank just you a, p- a pleasure yeah, to so taste the wine. Um, thank you for us. Just his accent alone. I mean, I would like listen for five hours. Uh, that's the thing too. Is and and even Mark the other day uh, spent uh, over an hour with you. Uh, I think tasting the wines and and I said, how did it go? Do you, are we gonna get to have one on by the glass? And he said, you know, I think we only talked about wine for about two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're delicious. <laughs> they yeah. really are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not. You know, I shouldn't say, but. They're good. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Very much. Um, any, cl- uh, Bart, you have anything closing? I've got a couple notes that I'd like to, um, um, you know, I just want to thank all the listeners out there. And recently I've had a, a, a few interchanges with some of our listeners, um, uh, uh, whether coming and visiting or going to events that, um, the, like the Zinfandel tasting that was in St. Louis that mm-hmm. some people went to that met other listeners of the podcast and, um, thank all you guys for all that support. Um, we, we do really appreciate it. Um, again, we have some, um, interesting shows coming up and, uh, you know, uh, drink more, uh, drink more oceans churning wine. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. This show is out on Friday. So, uh, yeah, happy Thanksgiving. And we're going into the holiday season. I, I wanted to, um, to give a big shout out to bedrock for uh, getting oh, number 10 yeah. number 10 Indeed. wine for the Indeed. wine spectator list Blown that's away. that's spectacular Huge. and then and Absolutely then you know the other thing on that is uh klein um klein right. zinfandel made right. like i think 40 for their uh, it's contra costa ancient zin yep um there was a number of sonoma valley um a couple more sonoma valley um uh, wineries i believe and uh, then aubert the uh i believe yeah, the chardonnay from like uh the larry hyde's uh right. vineyard uh, yep. which is we've got plenty of that wine at uh, at sante if you're interested in coming in not that specific vintage mm-hmm. but um some of the other chardonnays and they're That's just inc- i mean they're incredibly beautiful um but but Congratulations, Morgan, Twain Peterson, and Chris Cottrell yeah. um, for that. Um, th- that's a huge, um, um, huge statement to be made, not only for um, Sonoma, but for Heritage um, Vineyard Society. Yeah, and I yeah. think where they're sourcing the uh, grapes Absolutely. from as well and, and the style that they're doing it and the Absolutely. way they're going about it is just um, big props to you guys. Um I wanted to get a shout out to winezulu.com. If anyone's coming to Sonoma or Napa and would like to do tours, uh, I know uh, we had a couple from Arizona that booked a tour for uh, earlier than this week um, because they had listened to the podcast. If you want to do a tour and get guided by a sommelier, it's um, um, some places off the beaten path. Um, big shout out to the Rhone Room um, that we're in today. If anyone uh, needs to pick up some wine just for dinner, or as gifts, um, stop by here at the Roan Room, and I've said it before, it's like a, an adult toy store or a toy store for adults. Um, I want every single bottle of wine every time I come in here. And um, they also always have the uh, salted chocolate chip cookies in stock here at the Roan Room. Right, and, and Sandra opened up those cookies, yeah, the first thing she did when we, uh, when we came in today. Um, and then I, I just really wanted to uh, finish by saying... Um, you know, it's unfortunate what's going on uh, here in California with the fires again this year. And, and and luckily, the conversation isn't about grapes for the most part, like it was last year. I know, you know, it had to do with people, but it also had a lot to do with the with the wine industry. Um, now it's just about um, 
you know, people in their homes and anyone that's seen the news, um, whether it's Northern or Southern California, it's just some horrible tragedies that are going on. So I just want to say, stay strong. Um, everyone out there, um, we feel for you. Um, you know, my daughter has, I think she's gone to school one day out of the last 10, um, because of poor air quality here, even though we're not any, we're, we're not really close to the fire the air quality here is just so poor and even the um um, her swim team has had uh, a lot of practices canceled as well so everyone's being uh, affected by it some in in small ways and and some people losing their homes and losing their lives so um stay strong uh california and uh if you need to get cheered up i recommend um um drinking some wine (laughs) and um and uh, i've got two in front of me that i would highly recommend uh so Raj, thanks again for bringing on the oceans churning and thanks to the San Giacomo family for uh, growing these beautiful grapes. Thank you again, Brian. And thank you, yeah. Bart. Yeah, uh, thank it's, you. A, it's an honor. It's been great. Yeah. been great visiting with you. Yeah. Thank and you. we've, uh, I think we've lost Sandra. She just locked herself out. Uh, this has been the winemakers. We will, uh, post pictures of these beautiful labels, uh, on the Instagram and on the, uh, Facebook account and on the radio misfits podcast network. We will post contact information uh, for Raj so that you can get a hold of these beautiful wines. And uh, Sandra and I will let you know when um, um, when the first uh, uh, Bike Goes On podcast comes out. And uh, Sam is back and John are back. They've both been on assignment. Sam has been back east, but I know John will be back next week. And Sam will uh, be joining us uh, hopefully later this, uh, later this week as well. So uh, thank you for listening to The Winemakers. We will see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Happy Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, everyone.